passion, analysis, hot takes. Welcome to Political Football. And now, your hosts, Clee, Dave, and Maddie Ellis. All right, welcome back to another installment of Political Football. I am your host, Matty Ice, playing the theme song twice. Um, and I'm always joined by Cleve and Dave. We took a, a week off last week because Dave was in New York uh, having a meeting with Gettleman, who got a hold of some of his hot takes and insisted on a meeting instead of coming to the show. No, uh, man, I, Cleve... I, I went to Buffalo. I don't really play good football in New York. Oh, so there you go. Uh, well, to, to be fair, Dave, uh, they haven't really circled the wagons uh, until last year. So <laughs> fair enough. And Cleve is returning because Cleve was making that money. So how are you boys doing today? Doing doing OK, man. Uh, uh, things have gotten really busy for me. And thank you for, you know, keeping me as a friend and a client. So, uh, you know, you're literally feeding me, paying my bills. So I always appreciate you guys. Um, I want to get Dave back out there. Dave, I'll talk to you offline. I, I want to get you back in. So we'll talk offline. All right, man. Sounds good. I like the idea of airing our dirty laundry for all of our listeners to hear. This is excellent content, and I'm here for it for the rest of the way. You know? No, I no, I like it. Cleve is, uh, well, it looks like he's making dinner. Those of uh, those of you on the listening end, it looks like he's making some type of a meal. I believe last season, Cleve was chopping onions one time. That was pretty great. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and offline told me that he was at the McDonald's drive-through one time. That was probably the best one I ever heard, and I didn't pick up on it. In the line, I was standing near it, so we sure. were hearing, we were hearing like people order their shit. So <laughs> it's great. It was. I didn't. You also do a, uh, an episode in the bathroom. Yeah, I, at uh, <laughs> NTB in the John. Yeah, I've given a lot to this show, bro. <laughs> That's correct. That's right. So th this is why the listeners tune in every week, because they're trying to figure out what Cleve is going to be doing uh, on the recording. And maybe that's a subplot to every episode we have going forward. So um, so last week we didn't meet, but uh, something big actually did happen. And uh, it's it's got enough time to percolate, enough time to marinate, and we can get into it. So uh, Julio Jones finally got his wish, and he is out of there in Atlanta. Uh, he was traded to the Tennessee Titans, who was one of the three teams we talked about being um, a favorite. And I believe uh, it was in exchange for Julio and a six for a two and a four. So I wanted to um, cue you up, Dave, on this one, because I want to know your perspective first. What do you think this does to the scheming uh, aspect and the matchups for for the Titans? Uh, you know, and, and obviously, this has to be considered a fairly significant upgrade to Corey Davis. So, first of all, I do want to say that the trade itself was a total steal for the Titans. A second run for Julio Jones is just highway robbery. Uh, that's what the Patriots paid for Mohamed Sanu. <laughs> so, getting getting Julio Jones for a second is pretty is pretty amazing. Uh, the other thing is that I am not so sure this is an upgrade over Corey Davis. Um, you know, Julio is 32. He was great last year when he was healthy, but Corey Davis is starting to come into his own. And Julio Jones was the sixth overall pick. Corey Davis was fifth. I mean, his prospects, they're uh, um, similarly regarded, even though Julio has obviously been proven to be proven to be a lot better. But the thing is, Julio doesn't need to be a huge upgrade or upgrade at all over Corey Davis. He needs to be an upgrade over Josh Reynolds and Des Fitzpatrick and Anthony Perkser. Or whatever other dust ball was going to be the number two option in the passing game for, uh, for the Tennessee Titans. Because if the Titans can just hold serve with how they were last year, and they get Taylor Lewan back, they're legitimate contenders to win the Super Bowl. That was going to be my question, actually. Uh, do you do you see this as 
So the reason I'm asking this question is because we talk a lot about beating the other teams in your division when it comes to the offseason. Um, do you think this does put them on level with the Chiefs? Uh, no, but I don't think there's a move that they could have made that would put them on level with the Chiefs or the Bills. The goal is to be able to, to give yourself the best chance to win, and they are definitely looking to win within like the next two years. They've leveraged sure. everything, which which is smart because Derrick Henry is going to be washed by the next election, right? Like he's getting 500 carries a year and he's a running back. So he's only got three or four more years left and then he's going to be like DeMarco Murray. He's going to be done. So it's smart of them to try to win right now. And their team, they know they can't build a team as talented as the Chiefs, but they play a very unique style. And you boxing people say styles make fights. So it's very possible that the Titans can still compete and win. And Julio is going to be a big part of that style. Is this essentially uh, banking on being able to beat the Chiefs in a one-game sample? Like, they know that they're, they've are they upgraded enough to the point that they can win the division. They know that they can make a deep run in the playoffs. And now they're hoping that this, this move, along with just having the core that they had last year, barring injuries, of course, that they could take the Chiefs in a one-game sample to make the Super Bowl. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is that when you get to all the good teams in the NFL, I mean, the Chiefs against the Titans in a one-game sample in Kansas City, the Chiefs are going to be, what, 60% to win, 66% to win at best? I mean, that's the Titans will take that for sure, especially if they get the other games at home. Uh, I mean, you, so you have the Chiefs, you have the Bills, and outside, outside of that, there's room for the Titans to be the third-best team, the AFC, with the third-best odds going to the Super Bowl. Um I mean, I would take this year's Titans against last year's Bucks. You know, I'd be that be an even matchup. So that's really what they're looking for. But the Bucks are frauds. We all know this. Uh, Chef Cleave. <laughs> so um, I, I want to ask you. We've talked offline about this. Uh, you have put words to feelings about Julio coming in and asking for what you call the target share, mainly because he's going from being the guy to another guy here. And you're more the old school mentality when it comes to these types of things. You're kind of in my mind, represent the locker room kind of guy, right? So yeah. how do you see this going from that perspective, given, you know, the coach being, you know, Mike Vrabel being the coach obviously shows that he has some chops there. They haven't, you know, he doesn't have the accolades that other other coaches do. And now being asked to be a part of this offense instead of being the focal point of the offense. Yeah, I, I just foresee that um, when we're in like week four, week five, and he's getting three catches a game, um, there's going to be probably some, hey, can I talk to you guys? Because I didn't come in here to be a decoy or just run routes. Um, I'm thinking with his ego and the talent level, he's looking for probably 60%, if if more, of the target share. So he's looking to be seven, eight guy targeted per game. Um, if you guys disagree, let me know. But I, I just see the caliber of player. Julio's obviously on his way out, maybe another season after this one. And then um, obviously he's gonna make his Canton campaign. So this is this is for him to solidify that if he's not already a Hall of Famer. But I just think that when players, not just picking on Julio, when players go into a new situation, he's going from Matt Ryan to to Ryan Tannehill. So obviously different levels of talent. Um, uh, the quarterback he has now is younger, but the other quarterback, you know, played with him so long, he knows trust him to get there. So I think Julio's going to bring the mindset of like, hey, I've shown and I've proven and I've done. So if I'm not getting the ball in the goal line situation, I'm the go-to guy or, you know, I'm the conversion guy, whatever. 
I think it's going to be some rumblings. You know, what do you guys think? So I uh, disagree a bit with the with the target share. For one, the best receivers get like a twenty five percent target share. You know, DeAndre Hopkins of the world. The other thing is that for Julio Jones, the situation at receiver hasn't changed. He's just traded Calvin Ridley for AJ Brown. It's the same. Uh-huh. You have a good young up and coming great wide receiver playing opposite, which is actually good for Julio. And uh-huh. just in Atlanta, the three through seven wide receivers. I mean, after. Cleve after Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley named one wide receiver on Atlanta last year. I have no idea. Maybe uh, Fitz Fitzpatrick. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're not right. It's Russell Gage, Olamide, Zacchaeus. Right. Like it's not uh, people I can't remember. So the same thing in Tennessee. Right. So it's it's basically still be a very concentrated target share. So I think that he's going to be perfectly fine with the targets that he's. that he's going to get. I also think that he realizes that at this point, his best chance to win a Super Bowl is to be a complimentary piece. And he's not complimenting AJ Brown. He's complimenting Derrick Henry. And that's yeah. the difference. That's the difference between the situation here and the situation in Atlanta. Um, also, Tannehill's better than Matt Ryan right now. So I think yeah. all around he's going to be happy. Yeah. I just, I, to- I just look at the, the quarterback um, receiver trusting it's like you know not everyone's tom brady where tom can make anything work as far as you know getting his guys in line but some some quarterbacks like a guy that can run the route they want to route god versus someone that's gonna deviate and i and i think the relationship that that uh that matt ryan and um julio had is that trust you know it's gonna take a year well let's not say a year maybe 10 games for them to get that kind of hey you know what this is the spot here we're not really going to go to him here, but if he's open, take the shot. So just making making um, Tannehill kind of grow up a little bit. Well, that's okay. In those 10 games, you know, two or three of them are going to be against Jacksonville and Houston. So, you know, I could probably quarterback the Titans to a win against Houston this year. So I'm not, uh, I'm not too worried about that. Matt, what do you think? Uh, I was going to ask, Dave, what do you think the line is, the over-under, on how many episodes into the season we get before Cleve uh, considers Julio Jones washed and done? I think I think that we will get the entire season. Wow. If, if Julio does not sustain a significant injury. I you know, Cleve is well, very good. much on the Cleve is very much on the your best abilities availability boomer sort of train. So yeah. If he gets if he gets a high ankle sprain and he's like constantly hobbled, then he'll be like he's washed. But if he's out there playing, I mean, Julio Jones of uh, uh, five thirty eight did a great a great article on this. His top speed last year when he was healthy, like running on the football field, was like almost the same as when he came in as a rookie. Wow. He actually isn't washed physically at all, um, or productively. Uh, Calvin Ridley was second highest in um, yards per route run in the league last year. Julio was fourth in the eight games that he played. I mean, Julio. He's still Julio Jones, right? He hasn't he hasn't crossed the age curve quite yet. It's later than most people, but he has he hasn't done it yet. We have to presume they're getting actual Julio Jones. So is it is it fair to compare him to Odell? Or obviously Odell's come off an injury, but is it like where this guy was the man in New York? He goes to Cleveland and he's kind of whatever. So is are we gonna get same Julio? I guess that's my question. Are we gonna get the Julio, the, the the Falcons Julio going up for crazy catches, Super Bowl, you know, he was the man. Yeah, yeah, think? there's there's no reason, especially given that the ankle injury he had last year was not anything too severe, that uh-huh. to think that we're not just getting Julio Jones. Okay. Like he's 
Also, they have a dominant running game with Derrick Henry. I mean, we've never really seen Julio Jones be able to play with a good play-action game. Um, yeah. We've also never seen Julio Jones play with a quarterback that can run. And Ryan Tannehill is not Lamar Jackson, but you can't just have the entire defense turn their back to Tannehill. I mean, he'll take off for 20 yards on you. So, yeah. you know, I think that the situation is much, much better for Julio Jones. And I don't think Julio's really fallen off at all. I am very excited to, to see what he can do. And like I said, they got an absolute steal getting him for a second rounder. This question goes to both of you. Uh, when reports come out that a player is in the, quote, best shape of their life, is that the musical equivalent of whenever a group or a band says, this is the best record we've ever written? Like they always, every year the players are in the best shape of their life. Because I hear that about Odell and I hear that about heard that about Julio Jones this morning. He's in the best shape of his life. And I'm like, isn't that kind of the goal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually they people do that when they're coming off an injury just to say, like, we're 100%, we're back over the injury and whatever. And that really depends on the injury. Like, I want to hear about Michael Thomas, who had a high ankle sprain last year. I want to hear he's best shape of his life. He's able to make his cuts, run his little slants, stuff like that. For Julio, like, he's had a nagging foot injury forever. I don't really care if he's in the best shape of his life or, like, he was in better shape when he was 24. I'll take 32-year-old Julio Jones at 90% of his best shape over uh, most dust balls in the entire league, right? So I don't have an issue with it. Where does this uh, offensive group stack up in terms of today's NFL? But then Cleve can answer this because we posted this on Instagram, and I'm pretty sure Dave answered it. Uh, but, you know, they, I, I would have to think they're – one of the best offensive cores in the league today, but where do they stack up in, let's say the last, let's say this century, the last 20 years. Go ahead, Cleef. Um, I mean, given the division that they're in, um, who, who's, who's their threat coming out of that division? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yeah. So, uh, if they can beat Indy, would it, I think it would, did they play them twice? I can't remember. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, they played them twice. If, if they can split a game or get two games, um, they could probably take the division. I think, you know, barring, um, I'm sorry, adding to Dave's point earlier about about it's not a, it's not more so upgrade. It's kind of the same situation. It was probably the best landing spot for him, given um, given the talent that's there and Tannehill kind of being a little better upgrade than Matt Ryan. Um, I think that if they can win their division, you know, they're formidable. So what's, so what's really interesting about the way that you answer that question, Cleve, is that I I love it because you equate on-field success with, with with how, like, you should be viewed so much. And, like, I, I don't at all. Like, to me, the the Mark Clayton, uh, Dan Marino, Dolphins are some of the best teams ever, even though they never, they never won. As far as, like, how this core stacks up against the best from this last century, I don't even think they're in the conversation. I went through and made a list of the league and I could hear an argument for this to be the third best core in the league right now. But honestly, I think they might even be outside the top five. Really? Um, and if, Out, yeah. Outside yeah, and if we're, five? Wow. Yeah, right now. And if and if we're talking about projecting into the future, they're definitely outside the top five. But for just this season, the two that are better, without question, are the Chiefs, Mahomes, CEH, uh, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, and the Seahawks, Russ, Carson, DK, and Lockett. Okay. Those are better. Those are better by far. The other ones that I would actually take over the Titans, I would take the Vikings. I would take Cousins, Delvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. I would take the Rams. I would take Matt Stafford, Cam Akers, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. I would take the Browns, Baker, 
Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Odell, and Landry. And I would take the Cowboys, Dak, Zeke, Amari, and C.D. Lamb. I would take all of them on the Lions as a core over the Titans right now. And I think that what we're seeing here is that teams are really starting to realize that you need to have on offense, you need to have like a few really great players and then you go for it, right? You don't really have that nice balance like the Patriots had for a long time. Um, and I left off, I left off the Packers, which is like Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, and literally whatever other person they decided to put in there, number two wide receiver, you know, is, is great as well. So I don't think that they can, that the Titans core stacks up. I mean, it's, you know, it's top five arguable, possibly top three arguable heading into the season of this league right now. But over like last 20 years, it's not even on, it's not even on the radar. That's no, I mean, give, give, I'm sorry, Matt, given that, given that Dave, you're, you're right. Thinking about as a core, I think I didn't think about what, what Matt's question like really was. And yeah, as a unit, I think I didn't, I didn't think, I, I just thought personnel as far as, you know, who's in for who who's out for who. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, taking some of the, taking some of the smoke off Derrick Henry where they can have him get going in the playoffs or, you know, second part of the season where, okay, now we're going to run, you know, run the ball like crazy. So yeah, that was a great, actually, I, I have no other than, you know, other than um, a couple of teams that I, I feel that could, could possibly be better, but you make a great argument. What do you think, Matt? Oh, I agree. Um, I just like to throw those questions out there because we've been talking about, you know, we, I think last time we talked about guys from the past coming forward and so forth. So, you know, the, the core that they've assembled is obviously good, but I like thinking about it in terms of, of that. So I agree. But before we move on to uh, another fellow that has been talked about a lot, uh, Dave, one of the things that um, is, is big now when these trades are made and, and just in general are betting odds. And we talked about betting odds when it was just the two of us. And I believe when the three of us talked about Julio Jones being traded, you kind of gave some betting odds and how they would be updated. So I didn't know if you would be able to sort of translate what some of those mean for like the casual sports fan. Like, obviously, I think anybody who knows anything about gambling or whatever would know that going from 35 to 1 to 30 to 1 makes it seem more likely that they would win. But like, how do you feel like the betting odds translate to what that means for the Titans in the win-loss column? So... There's, there's two, those are two different things that you're comparing because winning the Super Bowl, your wins and losses only matter for getting you into the playoffs, right? You need to qualify for the playoffs in order to win the Super Bowl. A win loss total bet means that you can get into the playoffs and still lose if you took, like, say you took over 12 and a half on a team and they win 11 games, you're going to lose your bet, even though they're going to make the playoffs. That's two separate two separate things to compare. I did go back and take a look at the Titans win total. Now that Julio Jones is on the team and they they're over under for wins is nine and a half. Now Mm -hmm. keep in mind, they play 17 games this year. So that's saying that they're either going nine and eight or 10 and seven. Wow. Yeah. Now that that was low. So the thing is I, when I first looked at it, I thought it was low too, but you can get, you can get odds on the over the over is plus plus one ten. The under is minus minus one thirty which means that the odds makers actually think the under is more likely for this. I actually think that that is, that that is low as well with this, with this trade, because I feel like acquiring Julio Jones makes like going three and one against Jacksonville and Houston pretty much a lock. If not four and oh, right. If you rip off 
four of the, you know, 10 wins that you need to hit the over just from those games in the division. You split with the Colts. Now you're halfway there. Now, for comparison, the Saints and the Cowboys are also over under nine and a half with odds um, with odds to go over. So if you bet the over on the Saints, you can get odds. Bet over on the Cowboys, you can get odds. So that's where the line is seeing them now, equal to the Saints and the Cowboys. Um, I I feel like I feel like that's low. And the thing is, the Colts currently are at ten. So the Colts are still favored to win the division, even with the addition of Julio. <clears throat> which I my initial thought was like that's not correct, but I didn't bet it because I'm like I must be missing something. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was asking. Um, and by the way, as always, the caveat, don't gamble on anything we say because um, it's it's not uh, any decision that you should be making with your money based off of something that we shoot the shit about. So yeah. keep that in mind. Or or if you do want to make a bet based on something that we say, feel free. Just don't blame most when it goes wrong or you have to fight, please. <laughs> anyway, so moving on, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, our favorite, favorite dude here. Uh, he won't go away. The whole situation won't go away. And it seems to me, this is just my opinion, that this is becoming a laughable case of just mismanagement across the board. Uh, neither side knows when to shut the hell up. They're not helping the situation in and of itself. So I think first question, the, the relationship was already beyond repair, but it has to be at least beyond repair now, given the current comments uh, that came out from Packers management, right? Yeah, I mean, the Packers management called Aaron Rodgers a complex man, which I think Aaron Rodgers actually take as a compliment. It's certainly true. He's like a complex, well-rounded, sort of renaissance kind of guy. The problem is that the the tone of complex man sounded a lot like whiny bitch. Yes. And so I don't think I don't think that really went over very well to Aaron Rodgers. And I'm calling it right now on tape. He will never play for the Green Bay Packers ever again. It is he is 100% out of there. This is this is a the Bucks are frauds lock. He is never playing for them ever again. I can't wait for this to make the uh, clip show uh, when it when he wins a Super Bowl with the Packers this year. It's going to be great when we play that at the end. <laughs> um, but I have to ask, and and Cleve, you can you can answer this because you have said you know Aaron's kind of uh, at, at least part of the problem with the way that he has handled things or whatever, but. Does the organization just feel like they have so much leverage here that they just are continuing to throw gasoline on this fire and it seems like a needless thing? I mean, or do they believe that he's not coming back and so they're just trying to throw, make him look bad so that they can, you know, get, uh, you know, I don't know. I just don't understand it because it seems like it would probably better serve itself for the organization to just not do anything and then see what their options are as the offseason progresses. I mean, the guys, the guys typically Bitcoin. He's he's an investment. They look at him as an investment. They made a commitment to him at some point, um, albeit that they helped themselves into this in, into this corner by not providing the guy with with things that he could have wanted or could have gotten. So I think it's it's a bad marriage. It's getting to the point where you know, hey, my lawyer contacted your lawyer. We're, we're not going to talk to each other directly anymore. And at first, I was in the camp of you know, Aaron's taking this handling this kind of wrong airing it out not putting his name on it and things like that and you know and then dave chimed in with well fuck management he, he has every right to what does he owe them blah 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 so i i at this juncture now i i agree with dave i think this is fractured beyond repair because they asked him what he wanted 
uh, it wasn't clear that he wanted the GM fired. If if because if that was the case, they could have just got rid of the GM or said, hey, "Listen, you don't, you know, like you don't report to this guy or don't talk to him or whatever." It's at the point now where it's like, what's the end game? Are they are they going to shop him? We're already uh, we're weeks from uh, minicamp. I mean, we're, I'm sorry, we're, we're weeks from um, preseason stuff. You know, once July hits, which is in two weeks, these guys are going to report, and then it's mini camp it's preseason and it's the season so if they're going to do something they got to do it now um but i i i agree with david at today is that i don't think he's ever going to suit up again um for them and i think they're going to they're going to put him out there and they're going to have to bite the bullet and pay and whatever but i think they're going to maximize whatever they can get for him cuz jordan love is going to have to step up now is there a scenario that he is there? Yeah, is there a scenario that he's traded that it's not a total disaster for the Packers? No, it's already a total disaster. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Like, I, I just feel like this is going to end so badly. Like, you trade him, and obviously your team value goes down because you're you're trading the league MVP. And I don't care how old he is; he just won the MVP. Like in Cleves, what have you done for me lately, world? I just won the fucking MVP. So uh, it's very clear that you're you're trading away a huge asset. But at this point, I have to think. They can't get back what they could have gotten for him had they just not done anything. Had they not said anything, right? Yeah, I mean, this they they really they really screwed this up here. Um, they need it because the thing is, the Packers management is a bunch of morons, which is what Aaron Rodgers is trying to say. They needed to just trade him to Denver ahead of the draft or on draft night when Justin Fields yeah. was there at nine, and then they yep. take Justin Fields. They get another. They, you know, they get another like first round in two seconds and Justin Fields, and they can rebuild around that. Now Fields is in Chicago. Rodgers is probably going to Denver anyways, but for but for a lot less. But the team that they could actually still get fair value from would be the New York Giants. The Giants should trade Daniel Jones and two first round picks for Aaron Rodgers right now, but I don't think Dave Gettleman has the brains or the or the stones to pull something like that off. But Rodgers on the Giants makes them immediate Super Bowl contenders. Wow. We so we so have to get Gettleman on the show. We need to keep badmouthing him every single week so that it gets he gets wind of it because that would be amazing to be like, Dave, would you actually do that? Would you trade for Aaron Rodgers? And I'm sure the answer we'd get would be fantastic because it wouldn't make any fucking sense. And they still wouldn't trade for him. So what, what do we know? There's a chance he doesn't even know who Aaron Rodgers is. Yeah. <laughs> he went to he went to a Dukes game and creamed himself for Daniel Jones, so obviously the guy, the guy. <laughs> he, he probably thought uh, Daniel Jones played for Mike Shashevsky, which is the actual program at Duke that anybody cares about, and he just got the whole thing messed up. But um, so one of the other things that's sort of been tied to this is Devonte Adams, and Devonte yeah. Adams, you know, so Devonte Adams obviously has said that he supports Aaron Rodgers and and so forth, but. Obviously, once the money starts to get involved in terms of you know reporting to camp and so forth, his his tune has sort of changed a little bit. And I, I think to myself, he can support Aaron Rodgers, but at the end of the day, he has to look out for his own ass. And there's his money and his livelihood is on the line. And like we've talked about too, like Aaron can can do this. Aaron's got the leverage to do this. Uh, but not every player on the roster can just sit out and continue to fork over money to the organization. And um, so I, do you guys agree that, you know, Devontae can do both? He can look out for himself without supporting the organization, but, you know, he can support Aaron Rodgers as well. Yeah. well no, I, want to get, I want to get his comments out there, Cleve. So this is what this is what Devontae Adams just said earlier this week. He said, 
Um, I've got his back. I've got Aaron's back through everything. So he knows that at the end of the day, if there's ever a wonder if he's lost his teammate or something because of all that, he knows where I stand. I'll stand on the fucking mountain and scream on the mountaintop that I've got his back. I think that any GM, any president, any owner, they should want the type of guys that are backing their players, especially a player like Aaron. That's just a good trait to have. I mean, you know, I don't I don't think his comments are unambiguous at all, but Cleve, do you think that he can say those comments but still show up to camp? Does Devontae showing up to camp mean that he's supporting Aaron Rodgers? Well, what, what what's tied into that the end of that crypt, cryptically is that he is saying that he's that kind of guy as well. So he's mm-hmm. gonna Aaron doesn't show up for some reason and find 93 grand, which Aaron can actually that's pocket money for him for the weekend where he could say, well, you know what? I was also speaking about the kind of guy that I am as well. So he's going to show up for the other guys that are in camp as well. But I've been saying this for like the last few weeks. Everyone can make a stance, but to Matt's point, and I've been saying this, it's on tape, is that not everyone has the currency that he has. And Rogers can do whatever he wants. These guys, listen, you know what? You're a great talent. You were the guy that had 90% of the market share of, of targets. But without Aaron here, Jordan Love is not going to give you that love. No pun intended. So nice. I think speaking at the end of that, he's speaking that no GM, if you read the end of that, no GM, no whoever would want to, he's speaking about himself as well. So he mm-hmm. can flip that and says, hey, I was speaking to support Aaron, but I'm here for you guys. And I'm speaking as I'm also that type of guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. And I'm well on the record of being back in Aaron Rodgers in this entire ordeal. I mean, it's very clear that, I mean, they still didn't draft him another wide receiver in the first round this year. They took a cornerback out of Georgia who had one career interception. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that means that this corner is going to be bad. I'm just saying that, like, they could have taken Elijah Moore. You know, they could have done literally anything to help Aaron Rodgers, and they didn't. I mean... There's nothing about the Packers' behavior that leads me to believe that they respect Aaron Rodgers in any way. And so he, I, I completely back him whatever he wants to do. I mean, he could, you know, light a bag of feces on the front porch of the uh, facility. I'd be like, well, that's that's how he's expressing his frustration. It's fine, but fine with me. Uh, Dave, this is not a shot at the Lions at all, but I have to ask this question. Is it fair to say that the Packers have sort of caught Lions-itis this offseason and they seem to be running the team in a way that is detrimental to the success. I mean, you've talked about this on this show before, about how it, you are baffled at how the Lions front office can't seem to do what every other team seems to know to do to make the team better. So I don't think that the Packers have caught Lionitis. I think the Packers might have always been run by total morons, and they just luck into Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers back-to-back. And when you get back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, you can be good. The Packers might actually be a bunch of morons, and when Rodgers is gone, they may never be good again. That's where I was getting to. I was hoping that you take it because I was going to ask you, have the Packers always been the Lions, but they just have had two all-time greats that just happened to work out? Because in my mind, when I think about and hear how they're handling this, it seems like exactly what bad franchises do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's very possible the Packers are a bad franchise to call them quarterback play. And that they're not they're not going to have anything anything left when when Rodgers is gone unless they happen to luck into another Hall of Fame quarterback right after which Lord help me I mean it's been since Matt we were in third grade the last time it wasn't five or Rodgers quarterback in that team so um, we're pushing 40 so like yeah I would love to see 
you know, uh, them fail a little bit. If they don't have a great quarterback, they're going two and fifteen. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is great, great, great stuff. We we could be looking at the uh, the Packers being the new Lions here pretty soon, or the new Jets here pretty soon. This could be interesting stuff, and especially given the fact that they are such a historic hey. franchise there. So you, know. you need to add Patriots in there now, buddy. Guys Not necessarily. Guys are you used to be. <laughs> yeah, but uh, what have you done for me lately? Six Super Bowls, so we'll take that. Um, that's ex- excellent. But the pa- the Patriots are in a tough spot for many other reasons. But, um, I mean, they haven't – like, they're not being run poorly. They're just resetting. Whereas, like, right now what you're looking at with the Packers is it's almost like they're actively going out of their way to take the situation and make it a thousand times worse. And I, I don't get it. I think I think barring between now and the start of uh, mini camp and camp, um, I think something's gonna come out that's damaging to Aaron Rodgers, and it's like a last hurrah, fuck you. This is what this is what really happened, or this is why we feel this way, or what we're doing because you guys both are right. Like it doesn't make any logical sense that you guys have a a, a quarterback of this caliber. When teams are trying to draft for this type of stuff, he's in he's in house, and it's you're a couple of pieces away around him to make it work. So why would you blow this whole thing up and then set yourself back ten years? You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't it doesn't compute at all. You know. But I don't think that story is going to come out from the Packers because they're still trying to trade him. In that case, like if they want to no, get no. rid of him, something something's gonna like there's something material to this. That's the, the the delta in this equation where we're all like, aha! Now, either on either side, something's gonna come out where it's like, well, I was trying not to go there. You guys just just traded me, but here we are. You know, here we are, and this is what really happened. I I and- think I think that the Packers are just run by morons, and like, there's no malevolence and there's nothing bad. Aaron Rodgers is just sick of being being like having his career wasted by these idiots, and he's like, I want to get out of here. Like, I think I think that's really it. I don't think there's any sort of like deeper underlying issue than that i think he's unhappy with the idiots who run his organization and if he had a normal job he would have quit five years ago and gone somewhere else and he's just trying to force force his way out i don't think there's going to be any you know any uh deshaun watson style awfulness or anything even oh, close no, yeah, to no, I, wasn't going to, I wasn't going to that level of of, of skullduggery i was going great word by the way <laughs> Mike Tyson's favorite word. Um, I wasn't going to that that part of it. Just meaning something material where there there will probably be a backroom talk. There's some leak audio. There's something where we're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I see where where, where the fracture is. Do you guys think that the Russell Wilson situation? Because Russell came out uh, two weeks ago now, I think, and said that I never requested a trade. I just think that we got to an inflection point, and then you know whatever. But I think they're trying to. You know, cover that up so that it, it wasn't any bad blood. But it's almost the same situation. But they actually got Russell some help. Um, you know, in the last two years, getting him some receivers. But do you think it's the same? It's a parallel there, where where uh, where he's looking at it like, well, you know, Russell Wilson got help, and they did that for him. Why can I get that? So I don't think that uh, the situations are that similar because. Russell Wilson has always had help around him. I think the situation with Russell Wilson is that he's made that he's not the featured part of the offense. Pete Carroll wants to keep handing the ball to Chris Carson and then a bunch of dust balls 
and trying to run it 80 times a game and play defense even though his defense isn't good anymore. And Wilson's like, uh, I want to throw the ball because I'm really good and we have these good receivers. And I actually think if I had to guess what happened there, I think Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll actually had a, like a screaming, huge like fight with each other that ended with Russell Wilson being like, you better do what I want or you need to trade me. And like either hanging up or storming out of the room or whatever. And then it just took them sort of working through it because I think they actually do have a strong working relationship to to figure out what they wanted to do. Whereas I don't think Aaron Rodgers respects literally anybody who works for the Packers that doesn't wear a jersey. Well, it's a different dynamic with with Russell and, and Pete because without without Russell, Pete's career would have been over. Like he extended that man's years in the NFL having that kind of quarterback. Yes, he extended. Yes. It. So with with Aaron. You know, McCarthy's out, so we don't, you know, we don't have that. But Lafleur is it, is it Lafleur? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Lafleur, can he can he replicate getting that kind of win win total out of the next guy yeah. up? Yeah, I mean, apparently he Lafleur is just as good at going thirteen and three, but making boneheaded decisions and losing games he shouldn't in the playoffs. I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm like, great, we just traded Mike McCarthy for Mike McCarthy number two. Then like, we, you know, <laughs> right? He's, so yeah, I mean. I don't think Russell Wilson was ever done with the Seahawks organization. I think he was done with how the team was trying to win. I think Aaron Rodgers is as done with the with the Packers as he was like the Trump administration. Like, I think he views them the exact same. Like, I do not want anything to do with these people anymore. Get me out of here. I'm done. And that's why I'm saying he's never playing for them again. Gotcha. I do think that's fair. And I think that is the difference in this situation is one being frustrated with the offensive play calling and scheming whereas the other is done with basically his workplace as a whole and I think the other difference too to Dave's point no matter how it went down whether it was a screaming match or a talk the organization was smart enough to come to Russ offline and say hey let's talk this through and kind of figure this stuff out because we have the same goal winning football games winning a Super Bowl but we seem to have a disagreement on how you know, we're, we're going about it. Now, I think what will be interesting is when we start the season and they let Russ cook for a while and then Pete Carroll can't help himself and starts handing the ball off 55 times. I bet you yeah. that situation, they they sat Pete down and was like, listen, this guy isn't going anywhere, so you got to make this work. End of story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And also the Seahawks did spend their first draft pick this year, which was a second-round pick on Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, terrible prospect, but he's a wide receiver out of Western Michigan. Total blazer, but uh, he's like 24 and never broke out at Western Michigan. Um, so it's a terrible draft pick, but they at least spend it on a wide receiver. Yeah. You know, their first pick went to a wide receiver. They're at least listening to, to, to Russ a little bit there and trying to keep him happy because I think everybody in the Seahawks knows that the Hall of Fame Super Bowl caliber quarterback is the person you keep happy, not the not the dusty old coach or yeah. Lafleur, who you could replace with literally any other random coach who's not a total moron. You know, yeah. you know, like the situations to me aren't aren't comparable. And I think that the Seahawks actually will do right by what by Russ during the season. And I think the Broncos will do right by Aaron Rodgers. And we will see what happens. But um, you know, those are the two topics of the week. However. Uh, I kind of came up with some odds and ends of some of our uh, some people that we've talked about before. But first uh, to you, Cleve. So your boy, uh, Tua Tungabailoa, uh, gave uh, an interview where he basically said last season he didn't know the playbook the way that he should have. And um, 
You're a huge Tua fan. You have many jerseys of his in your closet, and you'll be rooting for him the whole way through the season. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that because it seems like a revelation to me that would best be kept uh, not said. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously, it, if he said it, there's some validity to it. I would have never said that, even if I didn't. That's a Jamarcus Russell situation where it happened. But um, it now explains why Fitzy was being trotted back in. It explains why, hey, this is the down and distance. Do you know what the fuck you're doing? And Fitzy's like, hey, I'll just go back in, you know? And again, I, I want the guy to succeed. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a total hater of the guy, but um, I don't think he's going to be in the league as a starter next year if things don't go well. Okay, so uh, I will counter that. I will counter that with this. Cleve, would you like to make a little bet with me? We will bet... Um, uh, how about this? Uh, either we'll bet two sessions, so I get two free sessions, or I have to pay double for two sessions on this bet. Let's do it. The the Miami Dolphins will win either the same or more games this year than the Tennessee Titans. Okay, you got it. We're on. It's on tape, Matt. So you know we need to roll this back. You know, you know the greatest part about this show is that all of us are old enough that we call it rolling tape. And any young person listening has no friggin' idea what we're talking about. Listen, I will I will hang up this phone right now, roll down my window, and throw it out. If uh... you got it, <laughs> yeah. And you're and you're throwing a rotary dial phone. That thing's heavy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking to take somebody out on the on the way. Uh, no, right. so I was actually going to say earlier, uh, one of the teams that I don't think they do not have a better core than the Tennessee Titans heading into the season. But I would not be shocked if going into next season, we are saying that they have a better core is the Miami Dolphins. Tua, Gaskin, Waddle, Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, Will Fuller. Two of those four pass catchers are going to emerge. Tua is going to take a huge leap forward at their first full offseason because last year they lost it for COVID. And he saw the Bo Jackson injury. And Miles Gaskin, I think, is going to continue to prove that he's a starting running back in the NFL. Going into next season, there will be a real debate whether the Dolphins or the Titans have the better offensive core. Well, we will definitely keep track of this bet as the season goes along. I'm excited now because I have a reason to care about the Miami Dolphins uh, and Cleve's love of Tua. So I, I wanted to put that out there. But the other one that I wanted to cue Cleve up on, and this one's the more interesting one. So Le'Veon Bell uh, recently was caught on Instagram uh, talking about how he did not like uh, essentially playing for Andy Reid and I believe was quoted in a comment as saying, uh, he would never was never going to play for him again that he, quote, learned his lesson. Uh, Cleve, this was immediately coming off of two years of working for Adam Gase. Yeah. So how do you feel about Le'Veon uh, having these comments about a Super Bowl winning coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time, coming off of possibly one of the worst head coaches of all time? So here's so here's your soundbite. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? So Le'Veon, <laughs> bro, you... Jettis got jettisoned out of out of Pittsburgh for whatever reason. Things fell apart. Um, you got to the Jets. Granted, we didn't use you as they used you in Pittsburgh, but obviously there was some things going on with you or whatever. You leave there. You go to a team that shows up for a championship, right? Whether you got eighteen carries for for your time there or you know a hundred carries, you are in a championship caliber squad for a coach who is known to be a player's coach. Like he's the guy that 
lets these players be them. I think he lets the the immense trust he has for Patrick Mahomes on the field and some of these guys. It tells you what kind of coach you're playing for. Now, yeah, you spent two years with Adam Gates and and, and you aren't happy with that, but you're not happy with Andy Reid. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Whatever, bro. Good luck getting on another squad because for what I hear, he's a free agent, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Has anyone been calling? No. No. Okay. Like, hello? You know, and, and anyone calling. So, yeah, good luck with that, bro. I'm pretty sure with takes like this, Le'Veon Bell's next job is going to be GM of the Packers. I mean, <laughs> this we have to we have to really just make light like like make like uh come to terms with the fact that Le'Veon Bell might just be an idiot. Um, <laughs> and I and I don't like it's easy, haha, <laughs> Michigan State, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, it doesn't help. Um, but like, so he holds out of Pittsburgh. Because he wants more money, because he doesn't understand that the running back position has been completely devalued, he ends up taking less money to go to the Jets and playing for Adam Gase, where he doesn't get used. Then he goes to Kansas City, where he doesn't get used because he sucks now, and he doesn't understand that like he blew his best year to try to win a Super Bowl was the year he sat out in Pittsburgh. That was his. That was his best shot. And so now he's like, oh, I didn't get used. I didn't get whatever. Like, bro, you're so washed. You're totally done. I I mean, Aaron Rodgers is like more like the play for the Packers. And Le'Veon Bell is to be on a team at the start of training camp. Somebody's going to get hurt. They're going to bring him in, you know, because they need they need somebody. Like, he's going to end up on a squad. But, like, people are calling Todd Gurley first. And Todd Gurley literally doesn't have any knees. <laughs> So, I couldn't agree more, Dave. You you nailed that. You nailed that, dude. It's it's insane. To I mean, these guys, like you said, you went from you went from the Jets to the fucking championship game. When does that even happen? That's the and, best part about all this is the fact that he's his his con- context is that he got coached by Adam Gase, and then he goes to Andy Reid and is like, "This just isn't working for me." Well. <laughs> There's like, wh- where else is it going to work for you? If it worked, it didn't work in LA. I don't get it. Like, it's just, that's the best part. Like, it'd be one thing if he was coming off being coached by like Mike Tomlin or something, but he just had Adam Gase. We have yeah. taken a shit on Adam Gase for what, what is like 20 episodes in a row and then he finally got fired. And this, yeah. like, come on. It, it I, Like I said, reality's going to set in. Like Dave says, that call is going to come week three when someone's hurt. <laughs> so, so stay in shape. Because you might not be on a roster come a 52-man come the end of the preseason. You might be the guy getting called in week four. Yes. All right. So I have two more little odds and ends here. Uh, One of them is a clip, uh, Sean McVay, and he was talking about Matt Stafford. But apparently he got a little too excited in talking about Matt Stafford being on his team. And he was asked about, hey, does that mean you're taking a shit on Jared Goff? But that's not really why I'm playing this clip. But I'm going to play it for you. And then I have one question. All right, first of all, um, wanted to start off, you know, I, I hate that I even have to say this, but I think uh, I made a comment earlier that was definitely taken out of context. I am very excited. I have been in a good mood because of the confidence I have in this team, but by no means is that a slight to anybody, you know, like Jared, who has done a phenomenal job for the last four years here. When did Sean McVay become John Gruden? Yeah, that's, I was going to say that John Gruden. Uh, Sean McVay has always been John Gruden. Sean McVay, when he was like 
12 years old was on John Gruden's staff. Sean McVay is modern John Gruden. He is everything John Gruden wishes that he was. John Gruden is his mentor. <laughs> I am not surprised at all that he sounds like uh, like John Gruden. And in fact, they might just merge together into one like life force. Mega it's Gruden? Here. Yeah, exactly. Sean McGruden. <laughs> <laughs> it just caught me off guard. I guess I'd never really paid attention to the way that he sounded. And then in that press conference, I was like, I thought it was Gruden. And then when he's talking about Jared Goff, I'm like, why would John Gruden be talking about Jared Goff? And I was like, oh, that's Sean McVay. Oh, my God. Right. right. I First mean, all, he sounds like John Gruden for the same reason. When I lift weights, I use the same technique that Cleve does. It's because I've only <laughs> had one person show me how to do it. And so that's how I'm going to do it. And that's why Sean McVay is like John Gruden. I, um, I... And you guys can chime in on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna come at it from a from a weird angle. His comments to me sounded like someone saying, I have black friends. It's like if you if you took a shot at a guy, <laughs> yeah, I Davis love this. If you take a shot at a like it's like me saying, I have to defend oh, it's out of context. That wasn't if I said it, I'm excited about a guy being on my team. It's basically, I'm excited about a guy being on my team because I have a present person here. It's not a slight at the other guy that's not here anymore. I shouldn't have to explain myself. Like him saying that, I was like, hey, I, I noticed that, you, that you're never around certain people. I have black friends. You know, it wasn't a slight. I'm excited, but I have black friends. Come on, man. Like, I don't think he needed to explain himself if he's excited about the, the roster and the team that he has now. What do you guys think? Well, there's two reasons he would need to explain himself. The first is that his boss tells him to. Um, <laughs> and the second is if he feels like he doesn't want to seem like the type of guy that bashes former players because then future players won't want to come play for him because if it doesn't work out, he will bash them later on their way out the door. And since he's only like 37 years old, he's got a long time for like build this reputation. So I think that might be where he's coming from. I mean, very clearly, Jared Goff is not as good as Matt Stafford. He should be excited to have the upgrade. And I don't think Jared Goff should take it as a slight. I think this is much more about how people might perceive Sean McVay than his feelings about it, or his concern of Jared Goff's feelings have been hurt. But yeah. he's jerking the guy off. He's jerking the guy off that he hasn't that hasn't played it down for him yet. And he's he's making known that hey, it wasn't about the guy that left, that left the building. I don't I don't I just personally like like you said, if his boss said hey, you, you need to clarify, I get that. You need to clarify because we're getting some heat. You need to clarify. But honestly, if he said that, I didn't see where I get, I didn't hear the initial like the excitement comments. I didn't hear like that presser. But for him to come on and have to re, like retrack it and say, hey, you know, I was excited, but it's not to say that I'm not excited about the guy that was here either. Doesn't it's it's irrelevant. He, Jared Goff is no longer on my team. I don't give a fuck about him anymore. He's he's out of here. Yeah, it was just funny because I was just so jarred by it. Um uh, before we get to the last clip, uh, Tim Tebow check in. As far as I know, he's still on the team, so congrats to him. We'll check in every week to find out that he's if he's still on the team. I think it's worth uh, worth a few seconds of our time. But this last sound clip comes from former Jets great Sam Darnold, and this is when he was asked about his vaccination status. I haven't been vaccinated yet. Um, you know, still got to think about you know all those certain things that go into it. Um, again, it's it's everyone's choice. Um, whether they want to get vaccinated or not. Um, so that's really all I got on it. I don't want to go. Um, <laughs> so personally, I don't really care if you get the vaccine or not, but this idea of I need more facts, like 
what other fucking facts do you need at this point? Especially as a white guy in this country. Like, <laughs> I, what are we waiting for? So here's the thing. I actually do care if you get the vaccine or not. And if you, at this point, choose not to get the vaccine, you are a terrible person and a terrible member of the global community. Like, we cannot get past this pandemic until 70% of the global population is have the vaccine. And most places on Earth don't have access to it like we do here. To be an American and to have access to the vaccine and to choose not to get it is a truly awful thing to do. And Sam Darnold is terrible for this position. And the thing is, you can tell that the position is not based on anything other than politics because he couldn't express his position. He wasn't like, oh, I'd really like to see a third trial come through because my grandfather had Huntington's disease and I might have the traits and we don't know how it's like. He didn't have anything to say about that. He's just on these QAnon message boards. They're telling him that it's not safe to take or that it's going to microchip him he doesn't want to go out there and say that in public so he's just going to act like i need more information when really he's just out himself as being an idiot but the main thing is you like you have to get the vaccine if you have access to it there's you know hesitancy at the start made a little bit of sense but matt to your point we have the information now like 80 million of us have already taken it you know, you if you choose not to get the vaccine at this point, you are choosing to do damage to other human beings. And there is like everybody has a choice to take a vaccine, like Sam said. Everybody has a choice to be a serial killer too. Most of yeah. us choose not to do it because we know it's the wrong thing, the wrong thing to do. So I have like there's no relationship for me on this. If you have access to it and it's safe for you personally to take it, you absolutely must take it, or else you are just a terrible member of the global community. I actually agree with actually agree with Dave on this one, um, surprisingly, um, and for the reasons more so of what he said about the access that we have. We not only have access, but we have access to the good stuff. Like they gave they gave us the three that were good, and the AstraZeneca and the other the other whatever. Like that got shipped overseas to countries, whatever. Like go, you guys can have that. We'll, we'll gladly ship it. So we have access to the to the top shelf stuff. Second of all, he could have just said today's point. I could have just been like, you know what? No comment. I have no comment on on the vaccine or anything. I, I don't want to. I want to, you know, leave it leave it open ended. If they keep asking me, hey, listen, I I said I asked this already. No comment. I have no comment about it. But today's point, clarify. If you're gonna if you're gonna say something, expound and give us a reason why, you know. But again, you're exposing other fans that you know whatever or teammates or whoever like it's just you know what either keep it to yourself or explain why and do a damn good job explaining why you feel this because again 80 million of us are fine <laughs> either yeah. right now fine at least right now you know the the nfl should make it mandatory for all employees of every team to get vaccinated they should also make it mandatory for any vendors and contractors who work in the stadiums. They should also make it mandatory for any company that wants to advertise during the NFL that all their employees be vaccinated. So if Budweiser wants to advertise during the NFL, then they better vaccinate all their employees or else you can't run your ads during the NFL. You know, the NFL really is in a strong position to take a real lead here and help out in this effort. They're not going to. I mean, Roger Goodell and Dave Gettleman are basically the same person. Goodell just knows how to dress better. Um, so he's not going to, like, he, they're never going to do this. But that's really what they should be looking to do because it is embarrassing, especially for there to be players. Because if there's players that don't have the vaccine, those are players that can get the disease 
and those are players that can't play during the season. We could still run into players missing because of COVID this season when the vaccine, like anybody who wants a vaccine now can just go get one. It's yeah. unbelievable. Do you two see a difference in this between in LeBron? LeBron not wanting to put it out there that whether he was vaccinated or not. And is there a difference in that one because of the complicated history of, you know, these, these free uh, vaccines and medicines that have been, you know, they've used the, the complicated history of black people and these, these vaccines and so forth. Do you think there is a difference there? Or do you think LeBron has the same, uh, you know, he should be doing the same thing that he should be getting it to help others and not just worry about himself. Uh, there's no difference in terms of them not wanting to get the vaccine. Um, and I, like I said, hesitancy at the start of this process did make a little bit of sense because you'd want to see not just for safety, but like how long will it last? Is one better than the other? Does that make sense to wait a month to get one, even if I have the access to another one right now? Um, you know, I can I can see why some hesitancy earlier would make sense. And LeBron's comments were about a month ago now. Um, but no, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like you have to get this vaccine. This vaccine or this disease is disproportionately killing black people anyways. So yeah. like, like getting the vaccine. And the thing is too, if we look at the places that are going to get the vaccine last, it's not going to be France and Switzerland and Germany and Japan. It's going to be Nigeria and Ghana yeah. and Togo and Senegal. So like, like it, we gotta, we gotta get on this. Like, you know, all these awful things that were run in the past were were terrible. They were not run by Dr. Fauci. Like Dr. Fauci's not out here trying to run a genocide. He's literally just trying to get people safe. So agreed. Take the vaccine, LeBron. Agreed. All right, we got two minutes left, um, and we're gonna get to a positive story. So I'm gonna ask a yes or no question, and yes or no is the only answer you should give. If I say the name Chancellor Lee Adams, do you know who that is? No. Dave. No. Okay. No. So Chancellor Lee Adams recently. Uh, graduated high school he is 21 he has permanent brain damage and he has cerebral palsy and the reason i bring him up is because he is uh the unborn child that ray caruth tried to murder um, shooting in 1999 um his grandmother took him in uh his his mother who died of the gunshot wounds was able to call 911 and live long enough for him to be born with you know this permanent damage and so forth but uh at age 21 he graduated from high school and I just was taken by that story because I remember so prominently that that trial and how gruesome that whole situation was. And one of the things that we see a lot in this country is people talking about impediments to being able to, you know, success, mostly white people, right? And you look at this kid who has had everything go against him and to graduate high school, which we all probably took for granted, um, it's defying the odds in a way that is so positive that it actually almost brings me to tears. Yeah, that's a great story. And Ray Cruz is out of prison now. He's been out. He's been out of prison for like the last five years. Um, I personally felt that he should have. He should have gotten a stiffer sentence for that. And I remember him trying to make amends and see the kid, which I, I felt at the time probably was too soon. That you tried to take me out. You actually killed his mother. Like so. Uh, good for him, man. I'm, I'm glad that. Uh, when, when we have regular people that are walking around fine that don't apply themselves to anything, this is a young man with challenges that is actually trying to make better himself and be normal. So good for him, bro. And it doesn't matter like how he did it, what his GPA was. The fact that he ah. made this accolade was, was the important part. And also the love that he is surrounded by with the people that took him in, especially his grandmother. 
I mean, it's just something that resonated with me. And I, I don't know. I, I found it last week and saved it because I needed to sh share it on this show. And uh, I know all three of us are old enough to know who Ray Carruth was and how just how serious that situation was. So, yeah. But Dave, you also had something positive to share this week. I did. And so uh, I don't know if you guys saw it's a pretty this pretty much the biggest story in sports over the weekend. Kristen Erickson of Denmark collapsed on the field, had a heart attack, basically, and almost died on the field. And his teammate and team captain, uh, Simon Kyer, ran over immediately, put him in the recovery position, made sure he didn't swallow his tongue, and started chest compressions right away before the medics get there from across the field. And there's no way to know for sure, but it seems pretty likely that Simon Kyer saved Kristen Erickson's life. Um, and Erickson's like, he's stable now. He's still in the hospital, but he's doing a lot better. Um, and so I just, you know, the, the presence of mind of this guy who's in the middle of a soccer game to just be like, oh, I have to go do immediate, you know, medical procedures on my friend here. I think it's just amazing. And like, yeah, I was, I was watching it live when it happened. I was so terrified and just seeing his teammate giving him chest compressions was inspiring at the time and great now that it actually worked out and saved his life he, he did i mean without because seconds matter when it comes to cpr my wife ended up saving a kid a couple of years ago and when she talks about it it's like it's like it's you can see it happening in her face again mm -hmm. and you know all those seconds matter so yeah the the 12 seconds that the team was coming across the field that mattered because you go into all kinds of bad situations when when time is time is fleeting so yeah, he did. He owes that man his life, you know, seriously. Great. And yeah, it was. It, it kind of reminded me of Jerry Lawler having a heart attack on uh, WWE uh, live programming. And they had the paramedics there and were able to perform CPR on him right then and there. And it saved his life. Uh, and that's what it made me think of. But I, I agree, Dave. That was very positive, especially since so far everything has worked out. But what a horrific way to start uh, the Euro for sure. Like I couldn't even believe it was happening. Yeah, no, to see somebody just collapse from a heart attack. Um, and the one thing I do want to say about this, I'm curious because he's like 29 in a good shape. Is is this a case of myocarditis? Has he had COVID-19 and developed a little heart condition? Because if that comes out to be the case, we might see sports start to shut down again while everybody goes and gets tested to see if they have the same, the same condition. Yeah. It certainly will be interesting to see, but glad that it worked out that way. Um, any parting thoughts, fellas? No, not really. Um... I mean, I'm excited that uh, we're, it, we're creeping towards uh, normalcy with sports. I mean, the NBA has had no fan instances, no fan occurrences, actually, the last couple of weeks um, since the beginning of uh, playoffs. And, um, yeah, so I'm excited to have, like, see sports kind of picking up again. Yep. I'm actually looking forward to whenever they announce the Hard Knocks team because – uh, we will have some content there, and I'm hoping it's something that's very interesting, especially if it's Denver, if they get uh, Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm here for that. It's it's going to be Jacksonville. Watch. It's going to be Jacksonville. Dude. Well, that's okay, because that it falls in line with our Tebow watch, so we can actually yeah, hear as he gets killed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we can, we, we, maybe we can play the footage roll tape when he actually gets cut on the show. That would be fantastic. <laughs> so mean. All right, David, what about you? Uh, no, I'll just say for the people listening that if you haven't really watched international soccer, you should really give the Euros a chance. They're on during the day, pretty much every day on ESPN. And uh, it's one of the absolute best tournament in, in all the sports. And the level of play is just outstanding. So if you want to 
give give soccer a chance. This is the tournament that got me into soccer back in 2008. It's definitely worth worth watching. The drama is is incredible, even when people aren't dropping dead on the field. Nice. Agreed. So before we get out, uh, just want to let everybody know, check out MattySmedia.com for all your podcasting needs. Uh, you can find this show wherever you find your podcasts, everywhere. And uh, check us out on Instagram, Political uh, Football Podcast is our handle. Message us, tell us we're full of shit. That's kind of the whole point. So uh, I'll talk to you fellas next week. Have a good one. Peace. Political Football is exclusively owned by Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice and is brought to you by Matty Ice Media.